Seamus, the case of the oily preacher, part three, Let Go, is based on the Pulp Fiction short story, Nick Carter Strikes Oil, author unknown. Pat was filling me in on the case. The deceased passed low and his business partner Steve Bigelow had argued with Alan Strike over a land deal. Bigelow stated that Strike had threatened Lowe before he died, but Strike wasn't the only one that had something against Lowe. Then what happened? Around 1.30 p.m., witnesses saw Reverend Lowe in another verbal altercation at the restaurant as he was leaving. Strike? Nope. This man's name is Carter, and he had a lot to say. How's he know Reverend Lowe? Swindled parishioner and current investor. I think I know what the argument was about. He, he called me a false shepherd. Mr. Bigelow a scammer. Why would he do that? You'll need a thicker skin if you plan on being a businessman, Reverend. It's business, that's all. And a guy who doesn't read the fine print cries foul later. You shouldn't let it get to you. I want to believe you, I do, but if I find that Mr. Strike or any of the other investors have been wronged, I'll insist on putting things right. Of course, you're the boss. Reverend Lowe, may I have a word? Jeremy Carter, let me shake your hand. It's been ages. I didn't know you were out here. Oh, I bet you'd be much happier if I weren't. What are you talking about? I came out here to investigate the oil company that I invested a large sum of money into. The wonderful discovery of oil, as stated in your letter, and the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to participate. That's what I'm talking about. Well... There aren't any wells. That's exactly my point. Not a single one, and you know it. Brother Jeremy. Hey, don't call me brother. There is no love in your heart. Hey, I'm blessed enough to be able to afford to take the loss, and it will teach me never to trust a religious man again. However, some poor people have given their all to your Ponzi scheme, and they can't bear the loss, the loss your letters promised they wouldn't take, I might add. And for what? What was it all for? To fatten your own wallet? Disgusting. I didn't send any letters. I wouldn't do something so awful. I'd die of shame if that were even half true. Illel, it looks like the shame isn't working. Maybe you should try the roof of that fancy hotel you're staying at. Oh, I, uh, I started looking at the abundant property your company offered up. There isn't enough oil to grease a hinge. Oh, oh, but, you know, with the, with the life savings you stole from desperate people, you'll be just fine, right? That is, if you avoid going to prison. Jeremy, please! Hello? You're sure? Thank you. Do you think Carter had anything to do with Lowe's death? Not really. He's been very cooperative. He's worried the Reverend took his advice and took his own life. How do you know he didn't? 
The room looked like there had been a scuffle of some kind, and Lowe had bruising to his face that no one remembers seeing earlier in the day. But that could have happened any time after Lowe left his partner and the time he met the sidewalk. So someone likely helped Lowe over the balcony. Sure looks like it. Where was Bigelow? Airtight alibi. Security cameras and his assistant both confirmed that Bigelow was in the building 10 minutes after he left Lowe up until he was contacted about the accident. He was on the hotel's contact list for Lowe. Hmm. Lowe talked to anyone else? Here's the fun part. Carter was in the lobby of the hotel speaking to the desk clerk when Lowe went over the balcony edge. What was Carter doing there? Carter said that once he calmed down, he realized that Lowe seemed very upset and confused by what he was saying. So he was there to apologize and see what he had to say. He now thinks Lowe was as much a victim as he was. He might be right. While he was there, he noticed someone storming through the lobby in a huff. Anyone we know? Alan Strike. You have my attention. Here's where that five-minute window becomes a factor. The desk clerk remembers Lowe coming in that afternoon asking which way 318 was, the reverence room. The clerk pointed toward elevators and offered to call the room for him, but Strike waved him off and said he was expected. Expected? Why would Lowe be expecting him? That's the $64,000 question. The clerk confirmed that within five minutes or so, Strike came back and looked angry. Carter followed him out to the parking lot. Did Carter talk to Strike? Yep. According to Carter, he had seen Strike talking with Bigelow and the Reverend, but wasn't sure that he was in business with Lowe, too. He tried talking to Strike, but Carter said he was angry and just snapped at him that he didn't have time, got into his truck, and tore out of the parking lot. That's when Carter noticed people running to the side of the hotel. Doesn't the hotel have cameras? They do, but they were doing a system update. Nobody expects anything to happen on a Tuesday afternoon. So did Lowe go over the railing before or after Strike left? Good question. Want to go ask him? You haven't talked to him yet? I was waiting on that phone call. You see, we can confirm that Lowe hit the ground at 3.35 p.m. Some unfortunate souls were on hand to witness him falling, and a traffic camera caught the moment he hit. Yikes. Right. What we can't confirm is what time Lowe left. Was it before or after he fell? The clerk said a delivery came in at the same time Mr. Strike crossed the lobby to leave, but he couldn't remember the time. He did sign for the package, and the time was electronically recorded. Don't leave me in suspense. 3.34. So he didn't do it. Probably not. But the evidence is too thin. Even machines can get the time wrong. Did you ever own a VCR? What do you think? Let's go. I'll drive. I got on Wings a phone a while back. The old guy was hard to keep up with sometimes. I texted him while Pat drove the winding mountain road leading to Strike's ranch. Wings was on assignment. It didn't matter where you were. Wings knows a guy or will meet one. Nobody can get into a city's underground better than Wings. I asked him how things were going. He said he had made a few friends. 
He even ran into a guy he knew. <laughs> of course he did. I thanked him and told him to keep his ear to the ground. Briefly, I filled him in on the events surrounding the death of Lowe and asked him to keep a tab on any chatter about Reverend Lowe's untimely demise. This is a nice car, Pat. You bet it is. From the four-wheel drive to the heated seats, this baby is the whole package. Fancy. Yes, it is. I worked hard for this car and I deserve to be comfortable. It's got a lot of handles in here. Those are hang-on handles. <laughs> hang-on handles. When I give you the word, you hang on. We had fallen into the easy banter of friendship and being lulled by the scenery of the back roads. I forgot we were on the job. A black pickup ran up on us before we knew it was there. Patsy recovered from the bump to the bumper and skidded around the next bend. I glanced out the window to see the gaping expanse of the cliff's edge. My stomach twisted in a knot. I look over my shoulder. I couldn't make out the details of the truck. I was blinded by the sun reflecting off the shiny chrome grill. A dip in the road made the occupants visible for a few seconds. Two men wearing what looked like white felt cowboy hats. Maybe straw. The black truck was running up for another hit. They were trying to knock us off the road. Friends of yours? I was about to ask you the same thing. Sparks flew off the guardrail where the fender made contact as we careened around the corner. Stop messing up my car! We gotta get out of here. You think? We gotta ditch the car. They're trying to kill us. Not sure I can make a clean shot, and I don't want to waste bullets shooting up the side of the mountain. But Hunter, my, my car! Pat! All right, all right! Got it. We released our seatbelts, and Patsy released a switch to unlock the doors. What are you doing? There's an overlook coming up. We have just enough shoulder to jump out and slow ourselves down before we go over the side. When I say go, go! Whoa, how much shoulder? Sixty feet, give or take. Wait, what? Here they come again. Ready? No. This was your idea. Jump! I jumped. Pat had slammed on the brakes to give us a chance. I hit the ground harder than I would have liked. I scrambled to grab anything to slow myself down as I slid across the embankment while avoiding being crushed by Pat's car before it went over the edge. Oh, I hope she's got good insurance. The Rocky Mountains stay true to their name. I think I found most of those rocks before I finally came to a stop. I had grabbed a small shrub. My chest was on solid ground and my feet dangled. I looked around for Pat. I spotted her to my left. Only her head and her fingers were visible as she clung to the rock face. She was grimy with blood trickling down the side of her face. She looked like she found the rocks I missed. They were back. I look over the pat. Let go! She must have hit her head pretty hard in that fall. They were coming. The shrub released from the ground and I slid down a few more inches. Only my arms were touching anything solid. I look over at Pat. She gives me a nod and disappears. The footsteps grew closer. What else could I do? I let go. Thank you for listening to Seamus. 
If you liked this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. Seamus, the case of the oily preacher part three, Let Go, is based on the pulp fiction short story, Nick Carter Strikes Oil, author unknown. Hunter James was played by Patrick Brancato. Patsy Danube was played by Marsha Hinton. Reverend Lowe was played by Tom Hinton. Steve Bigelow was played by Tom Hinton. Jeremy Carter was played by Nick Yamateo. I'm Leslie Woodrow. This episode of Seamus was written by Raven Wisdom and directed by Gene Phillips. Sound design for Seamus is provided by OpenMicRecordingStudio.com. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.